Our second lesson comes from Mark's Gospel, chapter 8. Jesus went on with his disciples to the village of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they answered him, John the Baptist, and others, Elijah, still others, one of the prophets. He asked them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, You are the Messiah. And he sternly ordered them not to tell anyone about him. Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He said all this quite openly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, but turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The homily title this week matches the big idea for the Sunday school lesson this morning. We switched up our kids' curriculum so that on the vast majority of Sundays, the kids are going to be interacting with the same text that the adults are interacting with. We wanted there to be a little bit more crossover rather than the adults kind of focus on one of the lessons and the kids do something entirely different. We thought it would help parents interact with their kids around the scriptures. And we also had a number of people who don't have kids uh, at Grace say that they'd love to be more in the loop on what the kids are learning. They feel invested in the life of the kids and feel like they have a responsibility to know what the kids in their community are learning. And so um, a handful of people, Sarah and uh, Tiffany and Anna and Annika and Johanna and Bob and I sort of undertook this, this project of rethinking our whole curriculum so that uh, one of the reasons being so that there can be a little bit more overlap between what the adults are, are, are doing on Sundays and what the kids are doing on Sunday mornings. So they're interacting with this passage as well. So Bob and I had the task, it felt kind of like a seminary assignment where we had to look at all of the scriptures for the fall and determine sort of what is the lectionary that we use? What's the theme of the lectionary? What's a passage that's going to work well with kids? And then how do we articulate this simply in one big idea? Um, So it was, it was, it was, it was a long but pretty helpful process and this is the first time I'm preaching on one of the texts that I've, I've done this for. What's the one big idea? And I feel held accountable uh, to this one big idea that I thought about a month ago. And the one big idea this morning is that following Jesus means walking in his footsteps. Peter gets the answer to Jesus' question correct. Jesus is the Messiah. He knocks it out of the park. And being right, getting the answer right, is often what school is about, 
It's often what work is about. It's often what Christianity has been about. Getting the answer right to get the grade, to get the promotion, to get the ticket to heaven. How could that... And, and, and Getting the answer right is often the point. And the question, who do you say that I am, is such an important question. It's so poignant. How could that not be the one big idea I thought as I began looking at that text, how did I miss that? Shouldn't that question be the one big idea? But if you keep reading the text, the point seems to be that though Peter gets the answer correct, he doesn't have a clue what the answer means. And I've heard sermons on this text. I may have preached sermons on this text, which essentially boil down to the pastor turning the question back on the congregation and asking, who do you see that Jesus is? And it can kind of feel like the pastor is holding a litmus test and you can get the answer wrong or right or you can get the answer really right depending on the amount of fancy words you use. I I had the image in my mind of one of those um, machines that tests your vertical that they use like for basketball and it's a, it's a long stick and there are these plastic things that you're supposed to hit and you jump up and you hit the plastic pieces. And however many you hit, that's your vertical, right? And then there are some left that you don't hit. And so Jesus is Jewish, you're hitting a few and he's a prophet and the son of man and the son of God, you're getting higher and higher. And then you throw something out like, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's um, the incarnate word. Wow, like that's, that's hops. And then if you use Greek, it's like man. It's like LeBron hops. Um, and so they're, 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 it, it often feels like, I don't know, like um, there's this test to see how right we can get all of the answers. But what I got from this text, Peter gets the answer right. But as we continue reading, it seems as if knowing the answer right is like being a basketball player with an incredible vertical. But as soon as you get past the ball, you have no idea what to do. Peter and the other disciples are catching on to who Jesus is, but they don't understand yet what it will mean to follow him. So much so that Jesus sternly orders them not to tell anyone about who he is because they don't know what it will mean to walk in his footsteps yet. Peter calls Jesus the Messiah and Jesus launches in to this explanation of a great darkness that is coming. He talks to them about suffering, suffering that will be central to his Messiah-ness. His coming as Messiah will involve rejection and he will hand himself over to be killed. And he says that something of that kind of willingness will be a hallmark of his followers. Self-denial, not adulation, will be the mark of the community that follows him. But Jesus has just spent the first year of his ministry fighting against suffering. He has literally been giving people their very selves back. He's beat back the curse of suffering by giving the gift of walking to the lame and sight to the blind. He's freed women and men from the spirits that haunted them. He's waged war against suffering and hunger and poverty and sickness and death. And he has metaphorically torn down crosses of oppression that line the Roman roads. And now he says, deny yourself and take up your cross. But Jesus, I thought we were about denying Rome and pulling down the crosses. Jesus comes as a savior to eliminate the suffering of the world, 
but it will draw the attention of suffering from those in power. And all of this must sound to Peter and the disciples like someone saying, I'm going to run for Senate, but don't you dare tell anyone. I'm not sure how you understand how running for Senate works, Lord. I think it's best if Peter and I pull Jesus aside for a moment and remind him, remind him of John 10.10. I came that you may have life and life to the fullest. Stick with that. Let's let that be your campaign slogan. Remember when you said that, Lord? Let's just roll with that. I want to draw Jesus away from the crowds with Peter and put my arm around him and double check that he knows what he's talking about. You went to the cross, Lord, so we don't have to. Why are you saying this? Don't tell anyone about me quite yet, Jesus tells his disciples, because it's good that Peter knows the answer, but Jesus knows that Peter is going to need more than pat answers. Fast forward. It is dark. The sun has long ago set and there is no trace of where it was last seen. There's no sign of where it might rise. Jesus has been arrested and he is going to be crucified. It's all that anyone is talking about. It is dark and Peter has a cloth pulled over his head to hide his face. He's scared and sad and there is a darkness not only outside of him but inside of him as well. It is cold and Peter sits quietly at the edge of a fire and he can barely feel its heat. A little girl catches his eye and she's seen him before with Jesus. Who do you say that man Jesus is? I don't, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. Peter says, another woman chimes in, no, I saw you with him. Who do you say that he is? I, I don't know him. A third person says, no, you sound like him. You were with him. Who do you say that he is? I swear to God, Peter says, I don't know him. Peter is wandering in the dark without his faith, and he doesn't have any answers anymore. I have felt like that. I have felt my anxieties close in around me and my faith feel as weak and helpless as it possibly could. And maybe you've felt surrounded by darkness in one way or another. Perhaps it's simply the fall coming, the darkness of the mundane, another cycle of seasons, another year at a job, or maybe the darkness of a depression in retirement or the loss of a job the darkness of life without a parent or someone you love, the darkness that comes when our faith vanishes not only from our heads, maybe it's not a darkness, but an emptiness in our guts that we can't seem to fill. Jesus knows that in the darkness of our lives, knowing the answer won't be enough. In the good times, maybe, but when coldness and fear lay siege on Peter, And when we have lost any sign of the footprints of Christ and where they lead, we need more than a quick answer. We need the good news. The news that is the pearl of great price. The truth worth selling everything for. Worth forsaking the world to lay hold of. 
Peter learns the gospel news the hard way in the dark. It's only there that you can truly learn it. Peter denies Jesus Christ. When Jesus rises from the dead, he appears to the disciples, but all of the disciples have a bit of hesitation in their joy and their celebration, perhaps because they've all abandoned him. We're offered a scene in John's gospel of Jesus coming to Peter three times and asking him, Peter, son of John, do you love me? And three times Peter says, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And three times Jesus says to him, feed my sheep. Peter has to learn the hard way that the good news of the gospel is not only knowing the answer to the question, who do you say Jesus is? The good news is the answer to the question, who does Christ say that I am? To save your life and forfeit the world is to find the humility and trust to ask the question back to Jesus, who do you say that I am? And his answer, perhaps even more than ours, is the good news of the gospel. How precious a thing is a human being. How precious are you in my sight, Peter, my beloved. Following Jesus in his footsteps will be a life of constantly asking these two questions of Jesus. Who are you and who do you say that I am? Who are you and who do you say that I am? If you have been walking in the dark, you are in good company. What would Peter have been without his dark night of the soul? Without that cold night watching Jesus from a distance, would he understand that following Jesus means walking in footsteps of service and sacrificial love? Would he understand grace? That even when he had run out of answers, Christ hadn't. That even when he had abandoned Christ, Christ hadn't abandoned him. Whenever you find yourself in darkness, there is no better time to use the muscles of faith. And to close, this is a quote that I've probably used more than any other in preaching. You've heard it before. I don't know if I've read all of it in full. It's not that long, but it's from Beekner, and he writes, I think of faith as a kind of whistling in the dark because in much the same way, it helps to give us courage and to hold the shadows at bay. To whistle in the dark isn't to pretend that the dark doesn't sometimes scare the living daylights out of us. Instead, I think it's to demonstrate, if only to ourselves, that not even the dark can quite overcome our trust in the ultimate triumph of the living light. So if you want to follow Jesus and walk in his footsteps... Begin by whistling, just humming, just singing a song in the dark. I think of next week when we'll gather at Beer and Hymns, and what we'll do is just begin to sing. And one of the most beautiful images from those nights are when people walking by hear a song that they've forgotten, but their body remembers, and it catches their attention. And they stop, and they sing a little bit. And if you've been wandering in the dark, just begin to sing and begin to whistle and soon you will find that you are surrounded by a heavenly choir, a choir full of people who have walked in the darkness but have found the light cannot ever be overcome.
the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.